0: Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, and I'll read verses 25 through 35. It's kind of breaking into the middle of something that happens that I'll explain in just a moment. Hear God's word. Luke 24, beginning in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So ends the reading of God's word. The, the 24th, this 24th chapter of Luke begins... Though I didn't read it now, it begins with what we call the first Easter morning. Jesus had been crucified, as you know, on Friday. His body had been taken down from the cross, had been placed in a tomb. And now on that that Sunday, uh, the women came to the tomb bringing spices, as was the custom of the day, to anoint the body. When they arrived, the stone had been rolled away, and the body of Jesus was gone. They're standing there very perplexed when two angels come near them and ask, "'Why do you seek the living among the dead?' He is not here, but he has risen. So they, they leave from the tomb. They go back to the uh, room where the disciples are, and they report to the, to the 11 disciples and others that were there. But the disciples don't believe. They don't believe that, that anything supernatural has happened. Now, this scene I read to you is several hours later. Two of the disciples are walking They're a long way, seven miles, from Jerusalem to this small town of Emmaus. And as they're walking, they're discussing the events of the past few days. As they continue to walk, a a man uh, who is also walking comes up and joins them, and he asks them what they've been talking about. And they're amazed that he seems to know nothing about what has happened over the past few days since the death of Jesus would have been major regional news that everyone would know about. So they tell him the whole sad story. They continue to walk, still unrecognized. The traveler uh, really engages them, and he he tells them the cause of their trouble, that they've been foolish and slow of heart in understanding of the the prophets. Or, he says to them, they would have realized that the Christ had to suffer before entering into the fullness of his glory. And so he he gives them a lesson, you might say, an overview of the Old Testament. Now they are approaching their destination and since it's dark they urge him to stay and he accepts their invitation. So they go in and what I've read, it's typical that even a guest might be the host at the meal. They would be the one that would pray and give thanks and then break the bread and give it to others. As Jesus does this, they recognize him. And then he is no longer there in their sight. They say to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? So they get up immediately, they go back to Jerusalem, the seven miles back from where they had come, and they go to the 11 disciples, and they tell them what had happened. And while they're talking to them, Jesus appears in their midst. They think they're seeing a ghost. They are frightened, and Jesus says, See my hands and my feet. Touch me and see and he gives the whole group now a lesson about the Messiah and how he had to die and all through the Old Testament scriptures. He, he tells them about repentance for forgiveness of sins, that that must be preached and proclaimed to all nations, and he sends them out as witnesses. And uh, Luke summarizes rather quickly what takes place over several days, but they return to Jerusalem with great joy, and they are continually in the temple praising God. Now, that's Luke's account of the the resurrection. Let me just draw a few observations in the moments we have. First, the lesson of the importance of the resurrection. If you've been around the Bible, if you've been around Christian churches at all, you know that much like these walls are foundational in the structure to hold this roof up, so the resurrection is foundational to Christ and to Christianity it's as important as it can be and even honest skeptics and those who don't necessarily believe what the bible teaches they see uh, the critics have seen that they know they realize that the disciples assume something transformative happened but if you can destroy the resurrection uh, you essentially have removed the foundation of christianity john piper in a short booklet called Nine Ways to Know that the Gospel of Christ is True. He says, Nobody has ever explained the empty tomb of Jesus in the hostile environment of Jerusalem, where the enemies of Jesus would have given anything to produce the corpse, but could not. The earliest attempts to cover the scandal of resurrection were manifestly contradictory to all human experiences. Disciples do not steal a body and then sacrifice their lives to preach a glorious gospel of grace on the basis of deception. Modern theories that Jesus didn't die but swooned and then awoke in the tomb and moved the stone and tricked his skeptical disciples into believing he was risen as the Lord of the universe don't persuade. I mentioned earlier in the early service that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated and buried 150 years ago this year. And what many people do not know is that 22 years after he was buried, in the year 1887, there was a whisper campaign going around, rumors circulating that it was not his body in that grave. No one was denying that He had been assassinated and had died they were just saying that's not his body so 22 years after he was buried the body was exhumed the remains were exhumed re-examined confirmed that it was Abraham Lincoln put back in the coffin sealed with lead put back in the grave and you think that would settle it it didn't rumors continued 14 years later the body was dug up again And after that examination and confirmation, it was moved to Springfield, where it remains to this day. My point is, if the enemies of Jesus had wanted to silence the rumors circulating around or the stories circulating around that Jesus was risen from the dead, it would have been very simple. Produce the body. Produce the remains. But the remains were not there. So, if you 're a seeker this morning, perhaps you think that Christianity is one of just a whole gamut of valid religions. I would just say yeah, and, and i 've read a lot from many. No other religion claims an empty tomb for their leader, not one. Second observation that we see here there the difference between the huge difference between just knowing and believing. I was in a meeting and i, I I think I told you I, I heard about an ad uh, in the New York Times. For sale, complete set of World Book Encyclopedias, like new, one thousand dollars or best offer. No longer needed. Recently married, wife knows everything. <laughs> uh, you may know a lot. You may know a lot about Jesus. You may know a lot about God and resurrection, and you're very fluent in all this terminology. But but do you believe it? because just knowing it and believing it are two vastly different things knowing is having the facts uh, as these two men on this road have. Uh, They perhaps they were discussing how Jesus had come into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey just the, the pre, uh, one week ago and how the crowds had greeted him with palm branches and, and shouting Hosanna maybe they were recalling the calls for his crucifixion there before Pontius Pilate they may have witnessed the crucifixion itself Perhaps they're quoting various Old Testament prophecies and trying to remember what Jesus taught. But all they had apparently at this point was information. They had knowledge, like many of us mages have knowledge. So even though they knew a lot, they had not yet chosen to believe. Believing is choosing to put your trust or your faith in that which you know, to act upon it. In the Bible, in biblical times, the word believe was much more substantive than the way we use it today. We throw it around like, oh, I, I believe it may rain tomorrow. Well, I believe it may not. I believe that, that this place has the best food. I believe this one does. I believe that so-and-so may win the Masters. Well, I believe that... We use that term in, in, a, in vast ways that they did not in biblical times. The word believe essentially meant in the Bible, to live in accordance with. That your actions reflected what you said that you believed. And so they had not yet, Christ rebukes them in verse 25, they had not yet put their faith in him. He says, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. They had knowledge, but they had not put their trust there. Some of us, some of you, you heard about Christ and believed, truly believed at the same time. Some of us here, grew up hearing about it but didn't really believe it. I thought it might be factual, but I did not depend on it. I did not trust in it for years after I originally heard it. I would urge you today to believe, to put your faith in it. How does a person then move from simply knowing to believing? Well, the Bible tells us how. It starts with the scriptures. As Jesus explained to them here, the scriptures, we assume he probably went all the way back to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. They didn't have chapters and verses in those days, but we go to Genesis three fifteen, which is the first promise in the Bible about a Redeemer who would later come. And then it traces that promise through the scriptures. He may have lingered at Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham is told to take his son Isaac up onto a mountain. And God provides a substitute sacrifice for Isaac at that time. Maybe Jesus touched on the Passover and how that was fulfilled in him and the sacrificial system and the tabernacle out in the wilderness and the, the Day of Atonement, that one day a year, Yom Kippur, when the Jews would gather and a sacrifice, a substitute was offered in their place for their sin. Maybe he talked about the bronze serpent that God instructed Moses to make and to lift it up on a stick high above where people could see it and everyone bitten by these venomous serpents was was healed that looked at that maybe he talked about the prophecy that had been given by Isaiah some 700 years before about the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53 or maybe he talked about Psalm 22 which is stark when you read that a very descriptive uh, narrative of crucifixion and a person dying through that when at that time had not even been invented it was prophetic about what would happen to Jesus and verse 31 tells us he opened their eyes so he instructed them with the scriptures and then he opened their eyes the bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God so we can have knowledge we can have information but then God has to open our eyes to an unbeliever this sounds very wacky what do you mean God gives us eyes to see. I don't mean a new set of eyes in our heads, but where we interpret and understand what we had not seen before. And so when faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God, the problem often with them and with us is not in our heads, it's in our hearts. And so God gives us faith to believe then and depend on what he says is true. It's spring here. You know what spring brings to the south? bad weather in april and may you know sometimes tornadoes i was reading that more tornadoes hit the midwest than the south uh, by average every year and yet more southerners die from tornadoes than midwesterners you get that more tornadoes in the midwest than in the south and yet more southerners die from tornadoes than people in the midwest assuming that's correct uh, it said those who study these things say the reason is because Southerners tend to be fatalistic, and we don't seek shelter. I, I've heard the sirens go off and see people driving on Zebulon Road. They've got to get to Kroger. The bread and milk may be sold out. Come on, let's go get it for the We don't act on the knowledge we have. We just think, you know, if, it's kind of, if your number's up, your number's up. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm out on the street or if I'm in a storm shelter. Same thing's going to happen, we think. Third observation, the basis of our hope in verse 51. Now, I didn't read this far, but at the end, Luke kind of tells us what happens sometime later. It says, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now the ascension of Jesus into heaven marks the end of the work Jesus came to do on the earth and the beginning of what he continues to do right now. And so Christians see that the Bible teaches his ascension is proof that he has conquered his every enemy and he reigns supreme far above all. And so he is our high priest, the Bible says, in heaven. He is our advocate interceding for his people. And one day, the Bible teaches, he will return to take us to be with him forever. So he's still alive. It's not that he rose from the dead, appeared to disciples, and later died again. But we believe, the Bible teaches, he is still alive. I was reading an application yesterday for a person wanting to become a U.S. citizen. Citizen of the U.S., in fact, one person here near me just said their mother is in the process of doing this right now. And uh, here's some of the easy questions. Are you at least 18 years old? Have you been a permanent resident for five years or more? Can you read and write and speak basic English? That rules those of us from Alabama out. Can you pass the civics test? Here's where it really gets fun, okay? Now don't raise your hand because most of us will fail, I think. We'll get this one. How many stripes are there on the U.S. flag? Answer. Okay, this side got it. Y'all flunked over. All right, right, don't answer the rest of them. I'm going to read several fast. Who's the chief justice of the Supreme Court today? In what year was the Constitution written? Which of these is guaranteed by the First Amendment? Freedom of the press, right to bear arms, right to happiness, right to trial by jury. How many Supreme Court justices are there? What are the first ten amendments to the Constitution called? When was the Declaration of Independence adopted? Which of the following amendments to the Constitution does not address or guarantee voting rights? The 19th Amendment, the 24th, the 15th, the 7th, or the 9th? What are the 13 original states? What do the stripes on the U.S. flag mean? What is the introduction to the Constitution called? How many changes or amendments are there in the Constitution? Who selects the Supreme Court justices? How many representatives are there in Congress? Why did the pilgrims come to America? Who has the power to declare war? Is it the Congress? Is it the President? Is it the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court? And so on and so forth. Unless you're a civics teacher, you might have problems with this like I would. But what if the test added after those questions, it said, have you had a living encounter with George Washington? What if it took knowing George Washington personally to be a citizen of the U.S.? Well, to be a Christian does not just mean answering academic questions. There is knowledge. I mean, we don't believe in a vacuum. There are things that we are to know facts, certain historical things about Jesus and about ourselves but it's not just that. It means having a living encounter with Jesus Christ and the only thing which makes that possible is that he is living that he's no longer dead. Verse 32 that I read said they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were in the temple praising God and worshiping. Well, what happened? Earlier they were afraid for their lives, they were fearful, and now they're in the temple worshiping. Their worship changed because they changed. God had changed them. He had changed their hearts. Put your trust in Christ today. I would urge you to do so. I think... When people tell me, why do you believe that? I say, I think there's substantive reason to believe. It's not overwhelming, but where do the clues point when you look at everything? And I just don't have enough faith to believe other world systems. They don't make sense to me. But where do the clues point? Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these believers in the early days just like us. They were normal men and women that struggled with faith. We thank you that you give us faith through your word in Christ. May our trust be in him and him only. We pray in his name. Amen.